0: This is Salt and Spine.
1: I think that's an important thing to acknowledge. Cooking and baking are hard. And to get to the point where you can just kind of get in the kitchen and create something flawless, you know, without a lot of effort, takes an incredible amount of practice and work.
0: Hi there, I'm Brian Hogan Stewart, and you're listening to Salt and Spine, the podcast on stories behind cookbooks. You're tuning in today for the first episode of our spring 2023 season, so welcome back. And we are thrilled to have a return guest on the show today. Claire Saffitz is with us today. Of course, she joined us during the pandemic virtually to talk about her first cookbook, Dessert Person. And now Claire is back in person and in studio with us to talk about her latest cookbook, What's for Dessert. Of course, you know Claire as the renowned pastry chef, food writer, and host of the hit YouTube series Gourmet Makes. In her first cookbook, Dessert Person, Claire shared her expertise and passion for all things sweet with over 100 recipes for cakes, cookies, pies, and more. And now she's back with a new book, What's for Dessert? Simple Recipes for Dessert People. Here she has 100 recipes for all dessert people. Quote, whether you're into impressive yet easy molten lava cakes, comforting rice pudding, or decadent chestnut brownies. She's even got recipes for stovetop desserts and no stand mixer, no problem. You won't need one for almost every recipe in this book. And like her first, this cookbook is more than just a collection of recipes. It's a personal journey in which Claire reveals some of her creative process, inspirations, and lessons she's learned and continue to learn along the way. During our chat today, Claire shares with us her insights on what makes a great dessert, her favorite recipes from the book, and some challenges on writing a cookbook during the pandemic. So whether you're a seasoned baker or just starting out, you won't want to miss my inspiring and informative chat with Claire Saffitz. Of course, we're now on Substack, and you can find bonus content from today's show and all of our episodes, including our entire back catalog at our substack at saltandspine.com. There you'll find two recipes from Claire Saffitt's latest book, Flowerless chocolate meringue cake, and a delicious recipe for no bake grapefruit bars. And now let's head to our studio at San Francisco's The Civic Kitchen, where Claire Saffitz joined us to talk cookbooks. Hi, Claire. Welcome back to Salt and Spine.
1: Thank you so much. It's great to be here in person.
0: I know. So fun to have you in studio. Um, joined us virtually for your last first cookbook. And now you're here in person to talk about the latest. Very exciting. We won't go into as much of your personal backstory today because folks can go back and listen to our previous conversation. Uh, but I will say you're joining just a small group of people who have been return guests for us. I think it's just at this point, Allison Roman, Rose Levy-Berenbaum, and now you. So. Wow.
1: What great company. I know, right? <laughs> Thrilled
0: to have you back um, to talk about your latest cookbook, What's for Dessert? Simple Recipes for Dessert People. I read a bit in the book and, and, and some of the other coverage that this really was shaped out of the pandemic. I don't know how much the book was prompted by the pandemic, but like as you were building the book, you were in the midst of the pandemic, right. and it really sort of shaped how you were approaching a lot of these recipes. Can you talk about how you approached this book and how it's different than your first dessert person? Yeah,
1: definitely. The the content of the book I think would be the same pandemic or no pandemic. Okay. This kind of very broad, expansive look at desserts of every kind. So that, that was always going to be the book. But certainly, as you said, the approach was formed in so many ways out of the, the pandemic and all the time I was had spent and was spending in the kitchen. And I thought that I, I mean, I like everyone else had a little bit of burnout in the kitchen sure. and I was promoting dessert person in fall 2020, all, all virtually yeah. and was doing baking demos from the book. And I just didn't really have the energy or motivation to do anything complicated and to do all the dishes and the prep and everything. And so I was selecting recipes from dessert person that were on the simpler side. And I thought to myself, when I do this again, more of the recipes are going to be this simple. I want to sort of stay to the simpler end of the spectrum on the second book because if I am lacking motivation in the kitchen, I'm sure everybody else is too. Yeah. So it really prompted me to approach things in a really streamlined way and just keep them simpler overall. And I'm so happy that that was my approach because Dessert Person, I think in so many ways, is a book about one's own experience in the kitchen it's sort of that personal relationship that one has to baking sure and this book is different it's sort of the opposite it's about almost spending less time in the kitchen and more time with people sharing you know sharing desserts the desserts are kind of celebratory and fun and so another another sort of influence of the pandemic was like i just wanted them to be fun and and, you know, there to be sort of occasions around these things and, and to be sort of playful and almost whimsical. It was just like, I, I, I need, I need these to be fun, you yeah. know?
0: Yeah, that's so interesting, too, because I think in the start of the pandemic, your first book came out, Dessert Person, and we were kind of in a moment where people wanted the big project, mm-hmm. baking, and, of course, sourdough is, like, the thing that had all the headlines, right? But people right. were really into, like, we have all this free time, we're stuck at home, we can't do things, mm-hmm. and then we hit the point that you sort of referenced of burnout, right? And right. that we're, we've been in the slog for several years and, like, just looking for something fresh. Did mm-hmm. you find that that it affected your two books, but did it affect you then too, as a baker, like coming out of the pandemic post pandemic? Like, are you also leaning more towards f- faster accessible stovetop desserts than you might have earlier in your career?
1: I still like a, a project. Okay. I still, I still enjoy my own personal time in the kitchen certainly. Yeah. But it did, it, I think it does represent for me a, a overall shift in my career and in my approach and in my own recipe development towards simpler stuff overall which I think is not an uncommon shift for for people it's actually kind of easier to do things that are complicated because like anyone you can always add a component and there's in some ways like something to hide behind you can put you if, if you know there's a sort of mediocre cake, you can make a frosting and add it to it and kind of dress it up. And yeah. when you do simpler stuff, there's less of that to hide behind. And so it's actually really challenging. So I think for me, it was a great challenge in this book to create things that are really simple, where there aren't a ton of components and not a lot of ingredients and not any complicated or overly complicated techniques, I should say. Um, so I'm really proud of that work. And I did not really anticipate how difficult that was gonna be when I thought of the book. I remember having a conversation with my editor about the idea and I was like, oh it's gonna be so easy (laughs) to develop. Like it's just gonna be such simple stuff and you know that will be a breeze sort of and it was the opposite. Interesting. Um, So like to get to that point where you can kind of whip something together in the kitchen that doesn't take a lot of time and that, you know, you're not you're not using a million bowls and creating a lot of dishes is actually quite difficult yeah um so i i but i do have a desire to kind of be spending like less time i just i think i'm at the point where i'm like if it doesn't need to be complicated then why make it complicated yeah um and it's not always easy to create something simple um but i'm so happy and proud of, of the recipes because i
0: think they really deliver that Did you find it more challenging than the dessert person? It was more challenging. It was more challenging. It
1: was more challenging for a couple of reasons. Not just the simplicity aspect, but because I was also challenging myself to branch out and learn more about and get more experience with kind of different categories of desserts that I hadn't made a lot in the past.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, you even write that you had this preconception before this book that like a dessert had to be baked. Yeah. Like dessert was like cake or pie or cookies uh or that kind
1: of thing. And this book fully half of the recipes in what's for dessert are are not one of those like baked categories. Uh Um, So things like mousses and custards and more egg based desserts and chilled desserts and frozen desserts. Um, And I love these, but I just was less experienced, you know, creating them and making them. So I had to do a lot of learning and trial and error and, research and education for myself around these things. Um, And I'm so glad that I did because I really do feel like I'm such a more well-rounded dessert person. And there's so much to love about these other categories that I just sort of had not spend as much time on because I'm such a baker. Um, and but I love them, so yeah. it, that was that part was a little more challenging, just because I had to do sort of my own personal work sure, to, sure. to create them.
0: It's also very free. I mean, in the intro to the book, you you give people permission that dessert can be a piece of cookie dough pulled from the freezer and baked, or you write a spoonful of hot fudge or caramel sauce just scooped from a jar in mm-hmm. the fridge, or you even write that um, your partner will smear you know chocolate hazelnut spread on a graham cracker, and mm-hmm. that's dessert one night. So it's it feels very freeing and that we have Claire's permission that like dessert can be a graham cracker with chocolate hazelnut spread. Yes. (laughs) Yes. When it needs to be.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I just, I I could, I don't have any interest in, in like gatekeeping or prescribing to people like what they should like or what is good or what, dessert means for them, as long as it's something that you're deriving pleasure from. And, um, and that's, and that's as complicated as it needs to be, then I think, great, like make it whatever you want it to be. And so the book in so many ways, I think is really outward looking. It's about providing so many different kinds of recipes for people that have all different taste levels and all different preferences and, um, you know, and, or, and like kitchen setup. So it's, it's really expansive and inclusive and, I don't. I don't like the idea of telling people what they should like. Sure, and I don't yeah. want someone to tell me what I like. Yeah, I already know what I like. Right. Um. So it's just like make it make it whatever you want it you want it to be. And here's, you know, a hundred recipes that I think will kind of be you can anyone can find something in, in those recipes to make.
0: Yeah. Let Let's talk about the title. So, what's for dessert? Um, I understand is is it's kind of cheeky a little bit, yeah. right? Yeah. But it, it's a common refrain in your house. Mm-hmm. Did you land on that easily?
1: Oh my gosh, no, no, no! Oh my the the title was such a back and forth and conversation amongst many people. Okay. I had, I didn't, I I knew what dessert person was going to be called before I started writing it. Okay, um, this book not as much, and I kept in my mind calling it simple dessert person.
0: Okay. Like, I'm a, I'm, a you can yeah, th- right.
1: think of it the same, like, I'm a simple dessert person. Um,
0: right, and a nice com- compendium, right? Like, right. you have a dessert person, and then you have a simple dessert person. Right.
1: But I didn't want people to think it was, a, like, a sequel. I think the books sure. complement each other, but you don't have to have one to to make sense of the other. Sure. Um, and it didn't quite, to me, capture everything that this book was about. It's not just simple recipes. And also, there's simple is kind of in the eye of the beholder. So there's mm-hmm. many people who I'm sure would look at a good chunk of the recipes and think, like, this isn't, this isn't simple to me sure. in, in so many ways because there is still a lot of technique. So I then tried to kind of think beyond that. And it was really a challenge to come up with something that I think kind of captured the the ethos of the book. But I kept kind of coming back to this thing that my husband and I say to each other or that I more say to him every night, which is like, what, what's for dessert? And sometimes mm. it is a kind of a joke because I'll have been recipe testing and we right. <laughs> you know what's for dessert. We have like four you know, desserts on the countertop or something, but it's something every night that I enjoy. And to me, it conveys this idea of like, I don't have to earn this. This is just sort of a part of how I treat myself every night. And it's just something I enjoy and dessert person. And I don't mean to always compare them because they totally exist. I think yeah. They stand alone. But dessert person in so many ways is like an argument about dessert. Like here is why dessert is important and good and something, you know, people should embrace. Um, and this book is not that at all. This book, as the subtitle says, is for dessert people. It's like we don't even need to. We're all like minded in uh-huh. that idea. I don't need to make an argument to to defend desserts. It's just a kind of pure, as I've been saying, like full throated kind of love letter to desserts where there needs no justifying because we're all of the same opinion that this is just a part of, you know, what we, what we enjoy as, as, as individuals. So I love, and it's also not a question. It's not, there's a question mark on the end of what's for dessert. You know, Uh it's sort of a statement and a question at the same time. There's no Um,
0: punctuation. So it's open to interpretation. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) Um, So in my house, it's not like our, it's not a question. Like, are we going to have dessert? Uh It's like, what, what of, what are we going to, be having and how are we going to treat ourselves
0: yeah and you I think we talked about this in our last conversation but you also grew up your mom was a very avid home baker Mm -hmm. and like grew up with desserts as a staple part of like family meals and things too so that like what's for dessert theme has been somewhat of a through line through your life yeah
1: Yeah. right so right from childhood it was um just kind of a thing it wasn't um, it wasn't mandated and it wasn't mm-hmm. something that we all necessarily shared. Everyone was kind of in charge of their own like food choices, which I think was a good approach. Sure. Um, and we always had dinner together. And then after dinner, we, my parents would clean up and everyone was kind of in charge of their own dessert, but it was never a question or, um, and it wasn't monitored of like, Oh, you're, you know, what are you eating or something? It was, everyone was just kind of in charge of their own food choices. And so often we would have something that my mom baked when yeah. it was, she was kind of famous for her poppy seed bread, or okay. um, other quick breads, or um, like cookies or bars or that kind of thing. Or we would just have ice cream in in the freezer, mm. and we yeah. would have that. So it was just sort of part of everyone's daily food routine. And um and a, at a not example not exactly part of dinner, and that we didn't all have it together, but it sure. was just there was no question of you know are you are you gonna Can you or should you or will you have dessert? Right.
0: I love that. How do you sort of define what's for dessert, the book, and what it encompasses? I mean, you write that this collection of desserts feels classic to me, and you also use the phrase retro-leaning recipes. So how do you sort of define what people are going to find when they open this book?
1: Yeah, the collection, I think... To me, feels modern in a sense, uh-huh. but it definitely takes lots of references from kind of mid century American and European desserts. Yeah, um, things that have a little bit of nostalgia. I really did a lot of thinking about how the recipes and dessert person were received, and and
0: noticing which seemed to resonate. And and is that just from like social media, or how are you? Yeah, anecdotally, that? Yeah, people okay. just
1: tell, coming up and telling me, you know, I make this or. Yeah. Um, just kind of seeing what people responded to and at this point what have become, what recipes have become kind of part of people's repertoires or sort of family traditions and that kind of thing. Uh Um, And I started to really kind of reflect on the power of nostalgia and taste memory when it came, came to food Um, and how much, how important that is for me and my own sort of formation of my own tastes and preferences. So I loved the idea of creating something that was really familiar and, um, and had so so many common reference points for people, but also had a little bit of a more modern um, interpretation or or sort of different flavors or an unexpected ingredient or something like that. So I also, because it was a pandemic, had to look for other sources of inspiration in, you know, for what I was creating. So normally for me, it's things like going to a farmer's market or travel or going out to restaurants. And I was cut off from those sources. So I started to look at, at cookbooks like i yeah I, i'm sort of sort of like academic in me or like pseudo academic was i was like i'll oh, go to, go to the texts uh-huh. you know yeah um, so i was looking at old cookbooks and antiquarian cookbooks and community cookbooks and there's such rich treasure troves of of recipes and so i really i just started to really respond to those kinds of mid-century more retro desserts and the things that felt familiar and comforting about them. And so that was a huge influence in in the recipes in the book.
0: Yeah, you write about that in the introduction to the book, the cookbooks that you, and you named a number of authors, you know, Claudia Fleming and Dory Greenspan and Flo Breaker and some of those folks. And then also mentioned that you dove into a lot of like community cookbooks, like the spiral bound church cookbooks, those sorts, mm-hmm. which feel like very different things to me. They're yes. very different types. They're very different texts, types of cookbooks. How did you sort of bring those all together then? because those are those both contribute i think very different influences to your your book.
1: Yeah, I definitely had sort of these two two sort of like areas or sectors of, of recipes that I drew from. So one was the like professional pastry chef. So sure. um, those names that you mentioned already, um, people like Emily Lucchetti uh-huh. and um, Gail Gand and people that sure. had been, you know, really kind of icons of, of in, in the, in, in pastry and in restaurant um, cooking. So, I definitely drew from those, which those recipes tend because of the kind of time period in which they were created and which they were writing the cookbooks have this kind of like European, almost continental kind of um, foundation, but then also feel very American. And then I have the community cookbooks, which are not created by professionals. It's um, like civic groups and church groups, as you mentioned, and, and really home bakers. Yeah, And I think that, I didn't do it consciously and I don't think I would have been able to do it consciously, but I do think the recipes in the book represent a kind of fusion of these two realms in, uh-huh. in a sense. Like they're very home cook friendly, but they are still like the found the foundation of the recipes is still technique, it's still sort of sound tech technique. And so um I don't exactly know how it happened, but I do think that they kind of fused in, yeah. in the recipes in a sense. And some are more are technique driven than others, and some are very kind of Home cook friendly and that it's just like mix everything together and and you don't have to be, you know, so attuned to to a particular technique. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think just sort of seamlessly came together. I think, yes. I think, I, I hope yeah. other people. I think, think so. Well,
0: that. I think it's also interesting because if you, I mean, those are two different types of texts that you referred to specifically, but I think it, folks who know about your background and your career, I mean, you grew up in the Midwest, mm-hmm. we talked about your mother's home baking and like, I imagine there were maybe some spiral bound books, yes. cookbooks yes, in your house. Yes, she does. It still yeah, has
1: them. Yep. Still has them. And still b- cooks from them. Uh,
0: so there's like, there's that piece. You you were classically trained and, and went to Paris and you were in France and learned, you know, French baking techniques techniques. Mm -hmm. You worked at Bon Appetit and were kind of at the forefront of like food thinking and food media and innovative recipes and techniques. And so like you kind of have all of those elements baked into you and your career. And so it did that kind of organically help bring it all together then too?
1: I think that's exactly it. I think that I just sort of had not only the text to draw from, but also my own personal experience where I had, there is this kind of synthesis of the the professional and the the home approach sure. um so yeah it's something that i'm so attuned to my audience and to that the idea that the people making these recipes are in many cases total novice bakers yeah. um even or just experienced home bakers or home cooks but it's imp- to me i feel like a lot of what i do is is a kind of trans as translating it's sort of taking these professional techniques that have been around for centuries and and are really the kind of core of baking and pastry and making them accessible yeah. to the home cook. So that that to me is at really the heart of of what I do.
0: And is is that sort of what prompted this decision to also include at the very end of the book this chapter on essential recipes and techniques? The, or where did that come from? Yeah,
1: the that came from a lot of sort of observing the reception of dessert person and okay. doing a kind of, in my own mind, like an anthropology of how people receive the book and make the recipes. I'm so fascinated by the way people interpret a recipe, you know, in, in their own kitchen. Yeah. Um, and I also try to be very aware of expert bias. So I talk, I, my, mm. one of my sisters is a professor of cultural anthropology. Okay. And we talk about this a lot. Um, the, and, She did like a whole exercise that was meant for professors about this idea of expert biases. Like, how do you teach something that you're such that you're so steeped in and so and very knowledgeable about to someone that doesn't have have that same knowledge Uh and is and is um you know totally unfamiliar with the subject.
0: And she did this exercise with you.
1: Well, so she did this whole exercise that involved like a Rubik's Cube. I don't know, it was like a thing for professors at her university where it was the it was the idea of like you only have been studying and talking about and researching and writing about your subject for so long right like try learn a new subject that's unfamiliar to you and sort of under to understand the idea of expert bias I got it okay so it's like a conversation we've had and it's made yeah. me really aware of this idea that I am so familiar with certain techniques and concepts in baking that I don't really. I, I want to be careful not to gloss over them and, and make that same assumption about anyone else. So that chapter was really born out of that idea and kind of almost like zooming out and and taking a, a different look at some of the concepts in baking that I take for granted. Something like creaming together butter and sugar for a cake or sure. for cookies that you know, to me is – Almost at this point, intuitive. Sure, but it's not an intuitive thing. Like you yeah. have to learn that, and so I kind of treated it like there was no uh, concept or technique too sort of straightforward for me to tackle in this book. So things like how to actually how to whip cream, yeah, things that I kind of do as second nature, but are not second nature unless you've been doing them, you know, over and over again for for years. So I really love that chapter because it really does break down. Concepts that are simple but kind of not that simple at the same time, mm-hmm. um, and I wanted the book to be accessible to really anyone, regardless of their their background and experience and yeah. and um, knowledge in the kitchen. So that's really where that chapter came from.
0: You do another thing in the recipes that touches on that and being accessible and helping novice bakers, which is within the body of recipes you include these what you call potential pitfalls or optional upgrades, mm-hmm. and I love that they're not side notes and they're not footnotes they're, yeah. they're embedded in the recipe and it's almost a warning like here's a potential pitfall right. that may happen if you haven't b- made this sort of dessert before or used th- practiced practice this technique very much um, was that something that you wanted to do from the beginning of putting the book together
1: it was I in dessert person I have footnotes uh-huh. like that literal yeah. foot, footnotes yeah. um, and so you're going through the recipe and there'll be like a little you know a little Whatever they're called, like marker. Footnote mark, yeah, yeah, footnote marker. Uh-huh, okay, sure. thank you. I don't think that's the right term. Um, whatever but the term yeah, is. Yeah, yeah I'm sure there's yeah. an actual word for <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. Um, and then you go to the bottom of the page and yeah. it's like a little helpful tip or note or something. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want people for this book, again, in that kind of, um, it was part of that kind of concept of streamlining everything. I didn't want people to have to go outside of the recipe and sure. kind of break their concentration and what they were doing. So I knew I wanted to keep those really helpful. Tips and tricks and notes, but but keep them within the recipe body so that you're you're kind of got your head in the game the yeah. whole time and not having to interrupt that. So and they're not there's not like multiple for every recipe. Sure, but if I felt like there was a particular moment in a recipe where something could go wrong, yeah, I wanted people to have a heads up, and mm-hmm. so I created these little um, potential pitfall moments. Things like if your heat gets too high, the mixture might break. But here's how to fix it. Th- those kinds of things. Sure, um, and then the optional upgrades there are fewer of the upgrades, but those are moments where I wanted people to know that there can be um, a flourish on a recipe that improves the look or the taste or maybe adds something different, but is not required. Yeah. So it was a way of creating flexibility in, in the written recipe, which is not the most flexible format. You have to like tell people exactly what to do. Right. Um, yeah. And I also found that people are v- many people It's sort of a personality thing are very strict recipe followers. Like they will mm-hmm. do what the recipe said. Not everyone, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah, right. I've met <laughs> my fair share of people who are like totally <laughs> go off script, yeah, you know, yeah. and <laughs> it's wild. Yes. Uh, but I wanted people to know that there are moments within this sort of inflexible form wh- where there could be flexibility. So it's yeah. like, you don't have to do this, but if you wanted to, you could. It would do sort of X, Y, Z and, and, you know, improve the look or the taste or that kind of thing. So a lot of those notes are my attempt to build flexibility into this format that is n- not very flexible, really.
0: Yeah. What are some of those, like, big pitfalls or challenges? I mean, you hear from so many home bakers who turn to you for expert advice and guidance and mm-hmm. support on YouTube or social media or wherever they reach you, but what are some of those things that you find time and again people just struggle with when they want to get into baking or dessert making?
1: Yeah, you know, I, in this book, I was so – I learned so much about um, – sort of variables that are beyond people's control and that I think create this illusion that baking is extremely either like fickle or mysterious Uh or I've heard this from people like, oh, I just can't seem to bake. I'm just not a baker. And I'm like, that's not really, that's not. It's not like it's in your blood. It's not right. something inborn. Like you can learn, it's a skill. You right. can learn it. Sure. But I but I do hear this thing from people that's like, oh, I just kinda of can't seem to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. And I want people to know, and I talk about this in the introduction, in the sort of the front matter of the book, that like there's actually so many variables that are not in your control that might be affecting your outcome and creating this idea in your head that you're not good at this thing, but you might be doing everything right. But there's those those main variables are your bakeware and your oven. Okay. So yeah. um, I, I spend sort of a lot of time talking about like why these things are important and how to um, sort of control these variables that seem that like you have less control over. Yeah. Um, like the color of your bakeware, the material, you know how how to sort of like calibrate your oven, make sure that there's you know bake, baking in the middle of the oven so you have full air circulation or sure. if you have to bake in glass drop the temperature 25 degrees to prevent uh-huh. over baking um so i think that there are it's important for people to be aware that it's not just about like you could follow the recipe perfectly yeah. and it could still not turn out yeah. and it's not necessarily your fault but you have to just sort of be aware of these other things that are going on um so i want people to know that um i have like a really good friend who's a great Cook and really good baker, but she has a very challenging oven, and I'm like, it's not your fault. Like, it is yeah. your your oven. You can blame your oven if yeah. something doesn't turn out. Right. Uh, so I don't know if that exactly answers the question, but um, no, I think it
0: does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I, uh, you also opened the book with this. Page on how to bake with less anxieties is, is mm-hmm. what it's titled, and we just um, had Becca Ray Tucker on, the sweet feminist who who wrote this book, Baking by Feel, mm-hmm. and I, I'm wondering to, and you give some tips for people on how to bake with less anxiety, things like visualizing the process of what you're about to do, taking mm-hmm. baby steps, even just you say believing in yourself uh-huh. can be helpful, and I'm wondering if that's sort of a trend in in baking and baking cookbooks specifically to like acknowledge more explicitly that anxiety. And that feeling of like I did everything that I was supposed to do and it still didn't work. And right. what's wrong with me? Like, do you feel like that's a trend? It's it's here in your book. We're seeing other books that do it. Is it like
1: I I mean I hope it's a trend. I uh-huh. guess I personally feel like in my own role as a recipe developer, I do a disservice to other people, to home bakers, if I present it as this intuitive easy thing that like anyone sure. anyone can just get into the kitchen and, like whip something up Yeah, it's not it's not easy like I've if it's so easy like what have I been doing for the last 10 years trying yeah. to like you know get better at this thing it's actually really hard I think that's an important thing to acknowledge cooking and baking are hard and to get to the point where you can just kind of get in the kitchen and create something flawless you know without a lot of effort takes an incredible amount of practice and work Yeah, to get to that point Um. so I don't I feel like I wanna be very honest with my I feel like I wanna be really honest with the audience and to make the buy-in very clear because there's kind of a like a contract with as a recipe developer and then with home bakers where it's sure. like I'm gonna give you this recipe and you're gonna make it. You're gonna invest your time and energy and money and you know, ingredients yeah. and, and effort into creating this. And I wanna be very upfront about what the costs are like literally and sort of like metaphorically. Yeah. Um, I, I really want to be truthful. So that is, I do think that that it's, I hope it's a trend. I think um, it doesn't mean that it has to always be hard. I try to do this thing that I think is kind of difficult, which is like, even if you're not as experienced in the kitchen or have no experience, you can still make this thing, but just know that it's not, it's not an effortless practice or pursuit it yeah. actually takes a lot of effort um but that doesn't mean that you have to spend all day like there's still ways that you can participate in this thing and not um you know spend tons of time and energy and money but i, I hope so i hope it is a trend
0: yeah I hope so, too. I think it's really helpful to acknowledge people's feelings and emotions in yeah. the kitchen. Oh, right. so, yeah, yeah. I mean, The
1: anxiety part is right? like, I yeah. remember when I was starting out as a baker and yeah. feeling anxious about is something going to turn out because I had never done it before. Yeah. So I try to meet people where they are yeah. and acknowledge those feelings and give people practical tools as well as kind of psychological tools. It's like light. It's a little bit of light therapy right. for yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Of, of, I understand that this can be daunting. Uh-huh. It's always a little bit scary to do something you've never done before. Um, and so the the tips are the ones you mentioned, like, you know, visualization. And sure. I always think about breaking the seal on a recipe because if I am making a recipe and it's really long, yeah. I get, I'm, I still, like, find it daunting a little yeah. bit. It's like, uh-huh. how do I dive into this thing that is going to be this process? And so... I like to break the seal on a recipe, meaning, like, if I just get out the cake pan that I need and put it on the countertop, Uh I feel like I've done something. Or I pulled out a couple ingredients that I I need and they're on the countertop. Just that little act, I think, can be, can help people kind of dive in and and initiate the process. So it's stuff like that where I just, I want to acknowledge that it's not just, you know, it's not, it's not all, like, Fun and games always, yeah, you know, it can feel course. like work.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great tip. Um, you have such fun retro-inspired retro, reci- retro inspired recipes in here, um, which we talked about that inspiration, but things like a French 75 jelly uh-huh. with grapefruit, like a, a jelly dessert in here. Mm-hmm. Um, re- towards the beginning, we have like a rice pudding that you do with candied kumquats, which looks incredible. And then the, so we have sort of these like retro-inspired dishes floating islands is in mm-hmm. here, which I we don't see in many Books these days, many uh-huh. dessert books, uh, and then the photography really matches that. Like the, it has this really retro feel. The the food styling and staging is very retro, sort of mm-hmm. feels very seventies to me. Was that clear at the beginning when you were working on the recipes that that would be the visual presentation of the book as well?
1: You know that it was. It and was okay. In so many, so much more so than for my first book, okay. I had a really clear idea of the kind of visual language okay. uh-huh. that I wanted to create for the book, and I had a really amazing creative team. So my photographer, Jenny Wong and Tina Wong, my food stylist, Uh Nicole Louie prop stylist. um, It's a team that's worked together a lot. So they all work, they they have such a incredible communication and ability to kind of create something and work all together in um, building like a cohesive sort of um, look, you know, to to the images. Um, And so I, I said, you know, it was, I really wanted to have this kind of seventies ish, Look to to the photos. Um, And I was really into like 70s food styling, which is absolutely insane. It's like, (laughs) it's not something that anyone would think was like appealing looking.
0: Right. But I love this. This is appealing, but I I know what you're referencing. I wanted
1: to have it be sort of like (laughs) modern food styling. Yeah, yeah. But with drawing inspiration from the kind of colors and right. textures of the 70s right. and some of the um and some of the kind of um, like compositions too of like multiple dishes in the same shot and certain yeah. kind of angles and a little bit of the lighting although yeah. definitely it's like it's a contemporary look to the lighting
0: uh-huh. um,
1: and it was so fun so I, I communicated this with the with my team and, and we talked about it a lot and I sent them lots of inspiration images and they totally understood that I wanted to modernize this look and just sure. draw inspiration I didn't want to do like a literal sure. 1970s like <laughs> you know, shag, carpet, whatever. Yeah, totally. Um, and so, especially from the, this perspective of the props, like these, some of it, the backgrounds are like vintage wallpapers uh-huh. that Nicole glued to a, a backing okay. and fabrics like corduroy and yeah. um, velvets. And uh-huh. um, and Jenny was so, is such a sort of master of lighting. And so the way that she kind of lit these scenes and I just love how it turned out. Yeah. And it actually took me, Sometimes when you're so deep in the process, as I was when we were shooting it, it's hard to actually see what you're creating. Sure. And now that I've had the time and, and a little bit of perspective away from it, I look at the images in a new way now, and I'm like, "Wow, we really, I think, I think accomplished what we set out to do, which yeah. is is create this kind of look of nostalgia and build this color palette and create this kind of visual world and language um, that f- that like takes its cues from kind of '70s yeah. design and, and food styling, but is not but feels also very contemporary. Sure,
0: yes. I, I think you did achieve it. it they're, they're stunning and beautiful and so fun.
1: I've, yeah, I love, the, like, how, I love how it turned out. The glass
0: serving ware. And, like, oh my God, the just, glassware. And yes. you know, so
1: the this book, the recipes in the book, a lot of the um, desserts are served individually, which is very different from dessert person where everything sure. is kind of shared. So there's a ton of like, like bowl dessert bowls and uh-huh. glasses and yeah, molten um, lava cake. Yes, right. Yeah. Like tons of little plates cuz yeah. so many things are served. So Nicole, my prop stylist, she I mean you should have seen like behind the scenes all the stuff that she pulled. It was a massive job to you know I'm sure. to to pull props for a, yeah. a book of the scale. So we had and I I love props. Like I love a vintage yeah. dessert coupe or that kind of thing. Right. Um and and she sourced I mean we I think we like cleared out uh, whole prop houses of their like yeah. individual glasses or something, yeah. uh, but it's so fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So you you posted on Instagram recently, uh, alluding to what's next for you, and and said you were going to take you know for the first time since twenty eighteen, take a little break from book writing, yeah. cook more, get dirty in the garden, tend uh-huh. to your chickens. <laughs> like, can you tell us a little bit about what's what's next for you?
1: Yeah, I'm so looking forward to having a little bit of less structure to my to my work life because it's been so much about writing books with deadlines. So it's not like I'm not going to be doing anything. I just am happy to have the opportunity to work outside of this kind of like strict deadline um, schedule. So I think definitely savory cooking is a huge part of it. I I started out as a savory cook. Right, Making has always, even from a very young age, been where my passion lies. Sure. But I consider myself at the same time, a generalist in the kitchen. Like I, you know, tons of experience with savory cooking. So, rediscovering that and which I've been doing since I wrapped up the book last, um, early last summer, um, has been such a pleasure. So definitely doing more savory stuff. Um, I'm starting a Patreon, which is the idea of it is kind of like a, it's a testing ground for me to sort of have this kind of space in the community to sort of get feedback in real time about recipes and ideas and to kind of, um, have more of a dialogue because writing a book is very like one sided or yeah. one directional, I should say. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're creating this thing without feedback, and then hoping people are going to like it and respond to it. Sure. So I, I'm so excited to have more of that dialogue with, um, with like uh, the audience and with and with home bakers and home cooks. So that's definitely something I'm looking forward to. And yeah. I think there is definitely another book. It's just not okay. happening anytime. Will it be a savory soon. book
0: then? I maybe. Think,
1: yes, yeah. I think whatever it becomes, there will be savory. In okay. it. Yeah, because okay. it's like you know you got to got to eat food like yeah. you can't can't live on a, a person cannot right. live on dessert alone <laughs>
0: sure okay you heard it here first dinner person. yes, by Claire <laughs> right. yes. yes.
1: i am a dinner person <laughs> yeah I, yeah yes absolutely i love it
0: um last question before we end with our, our little game so last time we asked about some of your major cookbook author influences mm-hmm. i'm curious this time if you can share with us some books or authors you're excited about now like who are the folks who are putting books out today that are exciting to you
1: yeah absolutely um I was just in, a couple of weeks ago, I was in D.C. Um, for a book event, okay. and I went to Bold Fork Books yeah. and did, sign some stock there, yeah. which is the, the most incredible, charming, like wonderful, all cookbook bookshop. I've shop. heard it's
0: so cool. I lived in D.C. for many years, and they opened after I left, oh, so yeah. I'm eager to see it sometime. Oh my gosh,
1: it's so charming. Okay. I, it's wonderful, and I love, I love a designated cookbook shop, so the event I did in San Francisco just last night was with Omnivore. Sure. Celia's incredible, yeah. so it's those places are very special to me. So I was doing lots of browsing there and actually uh-huh. like bought a bunch of books that I've been meaning to purchase. Um, and so there's a new book out. There, I think there's so much incredible, exciting work happening around bread these days. Mm-hmm. So many really amazing bread cookbooks. So Tara Jensen, who I've yeah. followed for a long time and is kind of my first, one of my first bread teachers, her book came out last spring mm-hmm. or this past spring um yeah flower called flower power, power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. it's so it's it's the bread version of what i feel like i try to do which is it's taking like very professional techniques and sort of very high level complicated concepts and making it very approachable for for anyone yeah um so i love i love her book i think it's it's stunning and yeah and brilliant yeah um there's a new book out and i'm going to forget the name of it because sometimes I just okay. I'm like not paying attention. Um, by is Mauricio Leo the the bread book? Yes, is Mauricio Leo? I think it, I think it's either out, about to be out, or yeah. has just come out. Yeah, that book I've heard incredible things about, so I just got my hands on a copy and I'm really excited because I am a hobbyist bread baker. Okay, yeah. um, I don't bread is one of those things where you have to devote. I have to, but it's the, for the people that are have been doing it for a long time and are other real experts. It, it takes sure. a lot of time sure. and devotion and and sort of almost like single-mindedness to, to really sure. become an expert. And I don't know if I'll ever get there. I'm, I, to me, I feel more of a, um, of a hobbyist yeah. bread baker. So I, I have so much respect for, for those, for the expertise that goes into writing a bread book. So I'm really excited to look at that book. Um, I, I really love this picture of Camila Wynn, who's in, based in mm. Montreal. She had Jam Bake, a, a cookbook. Okay. She does tons of like preserving, which is an area of okay. cooking that I'm, getting really into because my husband and I are like, have also kind of gotten into gardening and we planted some fruit trees. So I'm anticipating some preserving in our future. Um, And she's a brilliant pastry chef. There's also, this isn't so much about books, but there is this incredible Renaissance right now in cake making. This is like, we're in the golden era of cake making. I think as far as pastry, there's so many pastry chefs doing who I follow on Instagram and I'm blown away by the creativity and beauty in the cakes that they're creating. There's a, um, a pastry chef, Hannah Ziskin, who's based in LA. Okay, She and her husband run a place called Quarter Sheets, which okay. ser- they serve cake, yeah. pizza, and wine. And that's yeah. it. Yeah,
0: And she is making,
1: it. her sheet cakes are, I mean, they're true works of art. Yeah. And they look, I- I'm just so blown away every time I see. And there's so many other um, cake makers and bakers doing just the most incredible work around that. So I can't wait for there to be like a, sort of an ultimate guide to like layer cakes basically. Um, and they're just gorgeous. So that's kind of the work that's happening right now that I'm so intrigued by and interested in because they kind of address areas that I, where I really want to learn more.
0: Yeah. Yeah that's awesome those are great recommendations. But well, we always end with a little game. So okay. I thought today we would use our secret ingredient cards which are next to you there okay. and as you might imagine the the drill is what's for dessert. So if we want to add the punctuation in I'm going to ask you what's for dessert question mark and okay. then you can tell us what's for dessert based on what you draw from Ooh. from the deck. Okay. Um so you just can draw one card that's the secret ingredient you have to incorporate and we'll we'll do a round or two.
1: It's like a like a Theoretical chopped or something, right? But only one. But only one. one. Okay. Okay. okay, Great. Yeah, we
0: have other cards, but I didn't want to throw vegetables and stuff in here. Okay. We're going to keep it fun. Okay. Great. And um, what's for dessert? So feel free to draw the first card, any card you want. Ooh. Okay. Tell us what you have. Yes.
1: Okay. So secret ingredient peppermint. Peppermint. Okay. Okay. So I um, I am very particular about my chocolate desserts. Okay. And I I have said this many times. I don't enjoy the combination of chocolate and fruit because I think it's a little bit discordant. Yeah. But I do like chocolate mixed with nuts mm-hmm caramel not together well sometimes sure. and, and peppermint uh-huh. so I actually love like a chocolate peppermint dessert I have a, a recipe in the book that's a chocolate mint like a mint chocolate mousse mm, that's yeah. a white chocolate peppermint mousse and a and a dark chocolate mousse swirl together mm. so I'm gonna say that's that's what's for dessert okay. for peppermint
0: I love it okay let's do one more
1: <laughs> okay okay this secret Ooh, oh my gosh oh now that I saw the first one that <laughs> lulled me got, in, that lulled me into one. yeah, yeah, yeah the totally I thought that was yeah. into a false sense of security
0: <laughs> okay what do we ooh, have now
1: secret ingredient sriracha
0: sriracha okay what's for
1: Oh, God, that's really hard. Let me think. Um, Ooh, I might use sriracha as okay, so I think of if you kind of break it down, it's heat and acid, Uh essentially. I mean, you have like that chili flavor. Also, of course, I would probably also incorporate it with chocolate maybe oh, okay, like as sure. as a sort of spicy hot chocolate maybe. I mean yeah. I'm trying to think of of types of desserts where there a little bit of heat would be welcome. Either that or I would incorporate it into like a spiced chocolate cookie with like pumpkin seeds and just to create some of that heat or I wonder also if it would even be a kind of background flavor in a in like a, a molasses cookie where maybe you're adding black pepper because you want some sure. of that heat and it could kind of blend with some warm spices. So that's a I'm like, should I make that? Sure, That's like, that what an sounds, interesting idea. Yeah, that sounds really good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is I would in many ways try to like in mat I would use another really sort of ingredient, like a chocolate or molasses to kind yeah. of mask
0: some of the more overt flavors, but then still use the heat and the acid. Right. You get some of that subtle heat. Yeah. Right. I love that. Okay, let's close out one more.
1: Okay, one more. Okay. So this secret oh my gosh. Back to a really easy one. <laughs> oh, secret okay. ingredient, coffee beans.
0: Oh, coffee beans. My okay.
1: favorite dessert flavor for pretty much anything I, coffee I, Coffee is my i love coffee so much yeah and what i loved about developing the recipes for Westford for dessert is i had a whole chapter on chilled and frozen desserts mm-hmm. and coffee is all over that chapter yeah. because there is no better flavor than like a, co- a cold coffee dessert yeah yeah um i love my parents are in massachusetts and i when we go to cape cod i they have this coffee oreo there's like her coffee oreo is a flavor and all the um oh like the Oreo cookie shops. is
0: flavor. Oh the, the like ice, cream. ice cream. It's like a coffee ice cream with Oreos in it. It's mean. so yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh.
1: So it's like maybe that's what's for dessert. But I have oh, it I it's that. so many places in the book and one of my favorite recipes is um the a tiramisu. It's a it's an icebox cake version of tiramisu yeah. and it's really good and has a it's very coffee forward. Yeah. So that's a really easy one to to wrap it up with. It is. I love that. You know, I
0: in high in high school I worked at Cold Stone and my favorite uh-huh. oh my was gosh. coffee ice cream with Oreo Heath bar and like toasted almonds. Oh my gosh! So good. That
1: sounds incredible. Yes. Yes. I I am all over that.
0: Well, thank you for joining us on Salt and Spine again, Claire. It was so fun to have you.
1: Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can find bonus content from today's show and all of our episodes on our Substack, which you can find at saltandspine.com. There you'll find featured recipes from Claire Saffitz's What's for Dessert, as well as previous recipes from Claire Saffitz and hundreds of other cookbook authors. If you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. We also love to see your ratings on iTunes. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan-Stewart, and our producer, Clea Worster. Our kitchen correspondent to Sarah Varney, and the Salt and Spine original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Salt and Spine is recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen offers both digital and in-person classes for home cooks. You can find out more at civickitchensf.com. Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonomo, and the Civic Kitchen team, and to our friend Celia at Omnivore Books. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love mm e